This is Proxilla Radio, the UK's first dedicated progressive rock music radio network. You're listening to Tabletop Genesis, a podcast by Genesis fans for Genesis fans. Welcome to Tabletop Genesis. Here we are back to talk about Spot the Pigeon and Seconds Out. This is Mike Lord. This is Simon Godfrey. This is Elena Tinger. Stacey Godfrey. Tom Roche. And we're going to jump right into uh, Spot the Pigeon right now. Simon, tell us about Spot the Pigeon. What do they say on Wikipedia? Well, I was a bit surprised that there was actually so much on Wiki (laughs) about this. So bear with me. Spot the Pigeon is a 7-inch EP by the British progressive rock band Genesis, released in 1977. Its three songs were holdovers from the Wind and Wuthering sessions, which the band felt did not fit the overall feel of the album. Upon its release, the EP managed to reach number 14 in the UK single charts. Hmm. Although the EP market never took off in North America, their overseas distributor, Atlantic Records, released Spot the Pigeon in Canada as a 12-inch on a limited edition blue vinyl. That is correct. Mine is not blue, but I have it, yeah. This was Genesis's final studio release before lead guitarist Steve Hackett's departure in later in 1977. His discontent was that he was not able to get more of his songs onto Wind and Wuthering and was further aggravated when his track Inside Out, which he felt was worthy of inclusion on the album, was relegated to this EP. Although Spot the Pigeon saw a CD release, it has since been deleted. Two of its three tracks, Pigeons and Inside Out, appeared on the band's 2000 box set Genesis Archive 2. Match of the Day was not included due to the band's disliking of the song. (laughs) It was eventually made available on CD with the 2007 release Genesis 1976-82, thus making the entire EP available for the first time on CD in the US. Pigeons and Inside Out have also been released on Turn It On Again The Hits. Uh, a music video for Match of the Day was made with Phil Collins singing on the terraces of Queen's Park Rangers Football Club. I've never actually seen what? that. I've heard I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. I so. looked for that on YouTube. I could not find it. <laughs> I think Phil's, I I think it. Phil's <laughs> destroyed it all, actually. Uh, the EP was reissued on vinyl for Record Store Day in 2012 by Audio Fidelity, again on blue vinyl, playing at 33 and a third on side A and 45 on side B. There you go. A lot more than I thought there was. <laughs> right, for a little three-song EP. So uh, so the first song on there is Match of the Day, this uh, soccer-related song. You know, it's 
EPs and bonus tracks, you know, songs that didn't make the album always have a bit of, you know, are they interesting, are they not, whatever. Of the three songs on this album, this is the one I am least interested in. I think that it has a great opening riff and then doesn't really go anywhere. It's it's one of those ideas that, again, they had this riff, I think, that was like, oh, we got to do something with this. And they put it onto this song that was just very, you know, it didn't go anywhere. It's about soccer or about crowds and going to see sports. Yeah, it's like a prog band singing about sports. It's like, what's <laughs> going on? My head hurts. Oh. <laughs> I think it's very interesting that um, that the, the whole of uh, Wind and Wuthering was a very, Eng- uh, not English, but British uh, feel about it. Uh, and all, all three of these songs have a very British feel. Yeah. But I think they got dumped because I think they felt the overall tenor of the of Wind and Wuthering was a romantic kind yes. of feel. And I so I can see their point in that respect. Right. And it's interesting that, you know, what I wonder I don't know enough about when these songs were conceived in the writing process. You know, if this was early on before they saw that the it was more of a romantic feel to it throughout the album and if these songs kind of got left by the wayside because of that. You know, again, Match of the Day doesn't do much for me. I love Match of the Day. Yeah, it's a catchy song. I just like it. Well, I think that intro part, it makes it sound like it could have been a B-side on an 80s album. It's got like like synth kind of... It's like a very catchy. Like I I would not be surprised if I'd seen it like as a B-side to Land of Confusion or something like that and not realize that it would have been written in 77. This is a better attempt at a single than your own special way. Um, so I'm, I'm like surprised that like in terms of if they were really trying to write a single um, or include that a single in Wind and Weathering. It's a shame. You know, I can see it didn't fit the overall like feel and, and atmosphere of the album, but in terms of I think like radio playability I think maybe match of the day would have I don't know I wasn't I don't I'm not familiar with the landscape of radio airplay at that time especially in Britain um but yeah listening to it you know for the first time I was like yeah like to, to Tom's point this could have been on any other 80s uh albums and it probably would have been a single I agree with Ellie. I think Match of the Day is, is, is not a bad song. The lyric is a bit odd. Yeah. Um, <laughs> even for an Englishman, sort of like, it's they're talking about football, but not in. it's not any game that I've ever seen. You know? <laughs> there's the reds and there's the greens, greens. or blues or greys yeah. or yeah. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can imagine if, if it didn't do anything it's for soccer. you, where yeah. football. football is huge. I mean, imagine for us where we're like, yeah. The, the thing that does ring true about the lyrics on that was basically everybody hated the referee. <laughs> <laughs> right. and, and and Phil doing his you know his Cockney accent, which he's reprised in other uh, songs. But yeah, I think it's the first time he. I think was this the first track where he did like kind of like an accent, or he wasn't singing in his natural voice? Uh, no, because Robert is talking battery. battery. Yeah. yeah. Not really? much though. He, he's kind of saying mainly in his regular voice then. Well, hello, son. I hope you're having fun. Yeah, but that Bundles was. Of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right, all right. I, I will not argue this point anymore. So <laughs> I have found that my position is untenable. So no, I, I think it's match of the day is all right. Falling on the 
about pigeon is that the very first time they've ever sworn on record no no, no. back in New York City oh, there's, there's right. a, but there was a big difference back in New York City is the shit where pigeons is just shit <laughs> oh come on come on come on and that is as, I will listen to your own special way a thousand times before you make me sit down and listen to pigeons again it's that bad. I oh, cannot. Is that your main? That like, is my main song that I cannot uh, stand. It's like nails on a chalkboard. That repetitive. Oh my god! Yeah, me too. I don't like it at all. It's. I took some notes about what I feel about it because I need to adequately express how much I cannot stand the song. Like your friend Leon doesn't like Leon special way. This is how I feel about pigeons. All right. Okay. Well, they say that pigeons are actually like flying rats. Well, if rats could sing, this is what that song would sound like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I can see a video now of singing rats about pigeons. So. I, and when I think about the song and like them coming together with it, I, I feel like I'm Jeff Goldblum's character in Jurassic Park. Like they were so preoccupied whether they could put these chords and notes together that they didn't think if they should. And they should have realized, no, they shouldn't do that. They, those notes shouldn't go in that... What point were they like, yeah, we, this lyric, uh, it, they put 15 tons of shit on the, like, I just, the lyrics are terrible, it doesn't, I remember the first time I heard it, I was like, okay, this is totally, yeah, I could see this as a B-side, or, you know, an extra it's an track. F-side. A C-side. It's a yeah, C-side. C-side. Am I going to be the sole defender of pigeons in this room? Good luck. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> I liked the song, and it definitely should have been a B-side. You know, yeah. no, no question about that. I do think that it, you know, well, maybe you've seen it on Wind and Wuthering, you know, after Wuckerill or something. But, um, but I could see pigeons on there, uh, pigeons as a, as a song. That's just a fun, light little ditty. I like the remix in two thousand on the on the two thousand eight remasters uh, reissues that they put this kind of microphone effect on Phil's voice to give it kind of this old kind of music hall feel to it, which I think works a little better than the original vocal. But it's, but again, I could see why it's a, why it's a, uh, a B-side. But yeah, if it wasn't about pigeons, if maybe they had a different opening line versus 50 tons of shit, um, <laughs> I see those points. I will not deny them, but I still like I still like it. It's, it's got fun. quite a Beatlesque vibe yeah. about it, actually. It's a fun little song. It's it's funny because we've been spending a lot more time speaking about talking about pigeons than match of the day. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that they didn't include match of the day on that archive too because they felt like they didn't like it so much. But they included pigeons. I'm yeah. like, pigeons is a thousand times more horrible than match of the day. <laughs> I'm just the name. It's pigeons. It's just horrible. Everything. The name of the EP is Spot the Pigeon. Right. And how many of us looking at this cover when I first got it, I would tr- I was trying to find the pigeon. I was like, oh, is there yeah. a pigeon? Oh, pigeon? Do you know there's, there's a reason why? And I don't know whether or not you know this, but in England it was a uh, a thing called spot the ball. Okay. And what they would do is each week in a newspaper, they would have a picture of a still of a moment in soccer, football, um, as it should be called. Um, <laughs> and uh, and what it was, they would they would cut out the ball and what you had to do is guess 
<laughs> where the ball was and you put an X and you sent in the picture oh, okay. and if it was like um, like the lottery right. you won a fair amount of money if you got it the, the person that was closest to the ball would, would get and that's the reason why it's called Spot the Pigeon I thank you for that explanation I, I it makes me appreciate both the album name and the song itself even more and the, and the losers were forced to listen to pigeons over and over again if there's a hell that I may be going to one day it will be just consist of me with a piano doing that repetitive note over and over again or the guitar plinking whatever it is alright well there you have it people do tend to like inside and out Conway says it will be fine Just as long as he can tell the line It's the same old story But it says him only not to worry Cause some you lose and some yeah, that tends to be like the favorite of the EP people yeah. I've talked to. And, and they did play it live actually back in the day too at right, certain right. points later in the Wind and Weathering tour. Um, I I like it, but I also don't see the great love that everybody has for it. And I'm a, I think it's because of the, I'm not quite sure of the lyrics because it's <laughs> the whole idea of the lyrics is that this guy got accused basically of rape, sexual assault, it sounds like, of some type. But but he really didn't do it. And that just, you know, to me it kind of minimizes the idea that people, that this really does happen. And it's kind of like, okay, it's... They could have chosen another crime, and I think I would have been okay with it. But it just, there's something about that that makes... It, it makes it easier for people to say, oh yeah, women just make up this stuff all the time. Yeah, as a woman, I didn't yeah. care for the lyrics <laughs> um, at all because I kind of had that interpretation you had, Mike. Yeah. Um, but you know, mu- musically, I think it's 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 a great moment with with the four of them, um, yeah. especially the end, the jam, like kind of the jam instrumental part, at the end. another track that I thought you know could have you know it it sounded like you know, the direction maybe they were heading to after like in Wind and Wuthering because it it does kind of have more of that shorter song formula mm-hmm. um, a beautiful it's a beautiful chorus and yeah it's, it's like where they they could have evolved right. to had Steve stayed in the band they could have done more songs like this mm-hmm. 
maybe not as you know people always say poppy i don't quite right. know if that's the right word to describe how they how they changed but you know it they could have been more accessible in some ways while still having you know certain instrumentation like this song has that you know isn't just you know that has it's a bit more guitar heavy in some ways or guitar acoustic guitar heavy i could even say it i've had evolving feelings about the song since I first heard it probably in the late 80s maybe early okay. 90s because you know I wasn't aware that it was like an EP we didn't right. have those over here yeah, so it was sure. like one of those I knew all the Genesis albums I had them all I knew I know all their music and all of a sudden what there are these three extra songs Let me Pigeons? To I gotta hear this <laughs> <laughs> and I listened to them I'm like oh my god this is awesome and then as time went on I'm like okay the lyrics a little clunky I didn't like the way the rhymes of some of the words are, you know but it seems they didn't go straight there because on the porch you told them to put your hand here. Ugh, it just they didn't yeah. fit. They were kind of fit lyrics. And then the whole first part is kind of nice, but then it goes into an instrumental part, which is nice. Like maybe if there were two separate songs, yeah. they'd be fine on their own. But like the, the the mixing of the two just didn't work for me. Like I, I I can listen to the second part and be like, okay, that's great instrumental, but it doesn't fit with the first part. And especially I, the, I agree with that. I was thinking of this almost like Entangled, where Entangled has this really nice acoustic part of the beginning that goes into this instrumental part that really fits the first part of the song. This kind of, you know, the guitars right. going in the high kind of, whether it's Mellotron or whatever that melody is on, on top of there. And so they said, well, we already had this acoustic song that went into kind of a instrumental bit that was the same speed, so let's do a really fast thing at the end here so it's not like Entangled. But it doesn't really fit. You're right. It's like, it's like a Franken song. Like yeah. It's like bits of one yeah. and bits of another and stitch yeah. them together. And but it goes together, but it doesn't really complement each other. And just the subject matter, as as you guys were saying, it's... In other words, like you, you kind of want them to move away from the you know fantastical, myth, mythological kind of subject matter. But then when they tackle a real issue, you're like, all right, maybe go back to singing about Franken's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. they did it live and just at the awkwardness of having to I have Phil's actual intro to this song that he would say live what this, say? this was yeah. Phil's intro to the song this was June of 77 this was how Phil would intro the song this song is all about a poor unfortunate man who goes to a party and meets a lady with very large knockers and unfortunately she seduces him and then she claims that he raped her rock and roll everybody come on no, he didn't say that last part but <laughs> right <laughs> how do you get how do you get the crowd is he Ex- Welsh? <laughs> <laughs> is that Welsh? Is that Welsh? I was going to have you read it, but I don't know if you could. But, uh, I mean, just how do you introduce a song at a rock and roll show about rape, rape and then yeah. expect everyone to go nuts for it? It just yeah. seems like... Woohoo! Rock on! It's like, what yeah. are they going to do next? A song about Mexican immigrants? No, of course! <laughs> <laughs> no, the oh. melody is beautiful, but again, I, I never pay, paid attention to the lyrics, right. but now that you guys are mentioning it, it, yeah, it's a shame that the melody yeah. is so beautiful and the lyrics are strange. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, well, that's uh, you know. I. Uh, it's one of my top ten favorite tracks of theirs. Oh. I absolutely adore this track. <laughs> it was. I remember um, much like yourself. I had didn't know the existence of EPs, hmm. and uh, when someone got this, and I think it might very well be because at that point I had devoured almost everything that they had created right. in the 70s and then all of a sudden it was like someone had said there's a, a sealed up mine shaft <laughs> to the right here 
and, as well. Yeah, and yeah. you go in there, and all of a sudden, there are three Genesis tracks from the yeah. 70s you've never heard. Yeah. And of course, I just lapped it up. Yeah. And uh, you're right, the lyrics are surely there's a much more sensitive way to approach <laughs> yeah. the idea of, of sexual assault than this, really. But I recognize it's the 70s. Yeah, it was a different and, time. You know, yeah. and, and I know that this song was a huge bone of contention uh, between Steve Hackett and the rest of the guys in the band. He wanted this on the album. And, and I think that this, along with What Gorilla, were the two, probably the key points which made him go, I have to go my own way. I, I just think this track, for me, has the perfect amount of melancholy in the music and also power at the end. That whole business at the end, the 12 string of going and that is just, that's hairs on the back of my neck standing yeah. at the moment. And um, as I said, it might just be context because I found this a lot later on. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, I, I don't know if it's a top 10 song, but I, I liked the song. You know, I just wish the lyrics were different. You know, it's it's like, it's not, it's not like I'm like uh, that, this is a song that is that I'm defending, like trying to defend the actions of a real person here. This is a, it's a song, you know. I wish the lyrics were different, uh, but I also don't worry about it too much because I, it is a song. I once heard a a, a, a songwriter say, um, you know, when they were being challenged about a a lyric that they'd they'd written, and uh, they 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 shot back. He said, "It's a story. You can tell whatever you like in the right. story because it's a story." Yeah. But the fact of the matter is that, you know, it has an emotional impact. Yeah. I won't say that there are two sides to this story because there aren't, that any kind of uh, thing that you're going to disseminate to a wider public has to be conscious mm -hmm. of the kind of message you're creating. Yeah. Well, moving on from Spot the Pigeon, and I still will continue to look to Spot the Pigeon and maybe win a prize for that, we will talk about Seconds Out and the massive two-disc live album from... This year that really closes out Steve Hackett's participation in Genesis.
Alright, so Simon, Wikipedian, let's talk about Seconds Out. Okay, it says here, Seconds Out is a double live album by Genesis, released in October 1977. They were incredibly prolific around about this time, weren't they? Mm -hmm. It reached number four in the UK, remaining in the charts for 17 weeks. The performances were recorded in Paris in 1976 and 1977 on their tours in support of Trick of the Tail and Wind and Wuthering. At the end of several songs, the crowd can be heard encouraging the band to play another song by chanting Une Autre, which translates as One More. <laughs> and now I used to think they were chanting Phil Collins. <laughs> <laughs> Une Autre, mais oui. So this is, again, you know, I think for most of us, since we're of an age where we didn't see the band live at this point, it's really our introduction to this era of the band. And to me, this is, you know, the definitive versions of a lot of these songs on here. You know, side one, we'll talk about this in in sides, you know, has squonk, as they call it here, the carpet crawl, but everybody calls it carpet crawlers, robbery, salt and battery, and afterglow. You know, that's a great lineup of music right there. Yeah, I, I think one thing which I learned as I matured in, in live albums that it's not exactly as they performed it. So I think when I got this album, or actually it was a double cassette, hmm. that I figured, all right, well, it's what they did in live. They started with Squonk, then they went on to uh, <laughs> right. Carpet, Carpet Crawl, Crawl then yep. they did like exactly start to finish, which uh, it's a little bit, you know, they did start with Squonk and they did end with Los Endos and, right. you, know, you know, Dance on a Volcano Los Endos. But it was it was a learning period where I was like, okay, well, this is a representation of what they did at that time. It wasn't a live. Someone pressed record at the beginning of their album and went through, you know, till the end. But it, I, I did look at it when I got it. It was a gateway to older Genesis. Like it was, oh, it yes. was your introduction to songs because at the time that I had this, I didn't have Foxtrot. I had yeah. never heard the album Foxtrot before, mm-hmm. so this was my first introduction to Supper's Ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot still of the, the old defi- songs. still the definitive version right. of Supper's Ready, yeah. as far as I'm yeah. concerned. So, yeah. let's see. Oh, we got uh, just to go over here. We've got Squat Carpet Crawlers, Robbery, Assault, and Battery, which is a, a cool song. I'm surprised that it lasted. I mean, two tours in the set list, but it is. It's it's clever, but it's you know I guess it was a lot good live song back in the day. And Afterglow without in that Quiet Earth, which again you know I thought for years they just didn't play that. <laughs> Part and then hearing some bootlegs, I'm like, oh, they did play in that quiet earth, and they played it really well. They're not allowed to edit. Albums. Right, exactly. They didn't play, include everything on here. So, side two. Oh, can I oh, just mention yeah, sure. something before it? Again, I just ho- happened to notice something right at the bottom of the the Wikipedia page. It says the album's credits were a little bit confusing in places. Ah, yes. um, during Robbery, Assault and Battery, Phil Collins is, is credited with the keyboard solo. What they actually meant to say was Phil Collins was playing drums during the oh, keyboard yeah. solo. It took me uh, for when I first got this album, and I think I had it on LP at first, I thought, like, wow, Phil's really good because he, <laughs> he, he runs over and plays that keyboard solo. I was like, wow, that's really impressive. I really thought that. And then I think I figured out over time, I'm like, oh, no, he must be playing the drums during that so because he's a drummer. <laughs> and and he while he would talk about that he could play piano, he was like, my skis, he said, that's not what he does. Yeah, so, yeah. I just thought it was very interesting because yeah. it always used to confuse the hell out of me as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. This album's funny for me because, like, 
I, I like it. It's not my favorite live Genesis album because I forgot Afterglow was on here. Okay. And I actually had a little. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Take away my Genesis card. And actually, yeah, I challenged Simon on this. I, when we argue, it's usually about music. And this was one of those times. And he actually had to, like, I was so convinced. He actually had to pull it up on a website and, like, show it to me wow. <laughs> in writing. Um, so this just illustrates to you how much I really don't listen to this live album, okay. I guess. But there are some fantastic moments. And just looking at side one, I mean, for me, the highlight squonk. Sure. Um, Great opener. I oh, love yeah, this know. song, and I love it even more on this album. Just out of interest, was did they actually open yes. this show with Wind this? and Wuthering tour opened with Squonk? And that I was the first to tour where they started using the song from a previous album. Okay. And you know, we we I think we all or most of us are in agreement that Supper, this is the definitive version of Supper's Ready's on here. The absolute definitive version of Carpet Crawlers is on here, and I much prefer okay. Collins as the lead vocal on this track. Mm-hmm. Um, above Gabriel, and I think the, I I will agree with you about that. I think that's where this is the album that because again maybe because I heard this so much before I heard Peter sing things that the first time I heard the studio supper's ready, mm-hmm. I was like, Wah. and it's I can now appreciate that for a different type of experience. But it still feels very different to me than this, where Phil's voice is so fitting to this music. Mm-hmm. I, I remember having this cassette, and especially Supper's Ready. And I don't know why I figured anyone in my physics class in 10th grade would care, but I was like, look at this cassette. There's only one song on this side. There's only one song. Do you know how long this song is? And I was like, what are you doing? Get away from me. <laughs> but it's just one song. Do you, don't you get that? Yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I thought this this is an interesting structure to the album where side one is Squonk, <coughs> Carpet Crawlers, Robbery, Assault, and Battery, and Afterglow, except for Carpet Crawlers, all new music. Uh, Phil, all Phil, Sun, new music for Trick or uh, Wind. Side two is all classic for the fifth. I Know What I Like, Lamb Lies Down, Going Into the Musical Box, Closing Section. You know, that's almost like they wanted to kind of say, okay, here's Phil singing music that you're familiar with mm-hmm. for the side one if you haven't really got into this. Here he is Phil singing the old Peter stuff. Let's slam this at you right here. So, you know, that to me was, you know, the, you know, the introduction of, okay, this is, you know, we're showing you that Phil can handle this material if you haven't seen us live. Yeah, I think this is an important live album. Um, that they did because I maybe I, and I don't know maybe a lot of fans were kind of skeptical about Phil taking over as the lead vocalist and this really shows how much in the short amount of time that they were without Gabriel that they've transformed their live act yes. and this is the first album in my opinion the first release from Genesis where their balls dropped like there is some power here yeah. it is they have it's a statement album in my opinion they are just you know they this is where they start the thing where they kind of speed up the rockier songs yeah. they slow down the slower songs um there's just more power behind yeah. it they're just it's it's blown I mean, up i mean just the intro how they leave off the beginning piano of fourth or fifth and just really start yeah. into it i mean yeah. just with that power like just overwhelms you even in uh at the end of musical box section when and then boom it like really comes in you're like to imagine being there live and seeing that you must have been like blown out of your seat when they had started that last oh, section yeah. 
it's i mean that's and and again for me this was this is where i heard the musical box long before i long before a decent period of time before i heard it on nursery crime you know and that was you know when i first heard it on nursery crime i think i remember thinking when are they getting to the part i know <laughs> and it's like oh it's at the end all right and you know knowing that it's this excerpt and it's like oh okay this is how this works you know is that what closing section means yeah exactly <laughs> it means it's the end oh yeah i was not the brightest child going back to um to, to phil taking over the reins i think um the acceptance of phil was almost instantaneous mm -hmm. um i think there were in subsequent albums or when you go into the 80s maybe sort of like people people's opinions were divided and there might very well be a hardcore of, of fans out there say hello on facebook if you can <laughs> if you are who stopped listening to genesis after gabriel left but oh, sure. i think really you only have to look at the the jump in sales yeah. in in some ways to sort of like to see exactly how much uh, um phil brought you know with his because he was very clever he he did not attempt to be right. gabriel you right. know especially on stage and, and this yeah. this album is very um indicative of that he he brought his own flavor to it and there aren't many bands that go on to greater ex success after their lead singer has left right and i think that well, Phil definitely had the goods. He he was you know, he was a great front man. It's continued to be a fantastic drummer. But I think as a whole, the band were so much more confident in their playing. They're playing better. They're better players at this point. They knew their instruments. They knew these songs, and I think that's what really was the was the strength. This is when they finally live. Like it's just started to really come together. And I think with Phil's kind of stage presence and the way he, he kind of ran a show combined with this, like, their solid playing, it, it's just phenomenal. And I think that's, again, like, that's why I love they did this album, because it really highlights, like, that, that point in their, in their playing career. And this, was, this, this is when, to me, they became the lot, you know, a great live act, mm -hmm. was this tour. I think um, with, the, with Trick of the Tail, he kind of got all of the nerves out of his system. Yeah. He got everything down, got you know, whatever you know, trepidation he had about taking over and stepping out in front of the, of the drum kit were gone after that tour. And by the time Wind and Weathering tour came around, they just came out and nailed it. Yeah, I mean, you just have to look at I Know What I Like and the way they kind of, that's when they start that extended yeah. instrumental at the end. He's yeah. doing the tambourine. Do you know, that was and, the thing when I first yeah. saw that, uh, the, 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 the sort of like stop frame pictures of Phil mm. doing the tambourine. I had no idea what that tambourine thing was until right. I saw, I think it was, the, was it the 90, uh, what was the tour that they did in support of Weekend Dance? What, what year it was, was that? 92. 92, when he did it again, right. where I suddenly realized, oh. That's what he's doing. Because yeah. I could never figure out why they were cheering. Right, yeah. Like you he know? was just standing there hitting it on his hand. No, it was, the moment, it was the moment where he would turn away from the audience and then turn back and open right. his arms yeah. and they would cheer. I could never understand why they were cheering on the record, yeah. you see. And it's funny how those dots get joined by decades of separation. <laughs>
cassettes so much. I think I could air tambourine that, <laughs> that exact dance that he does with that, like to to the hit oh, on really? that tambourine. Yeah, because I, I I know my family would make fun of me because in eighty fall, December of eighty seven we took a Christmas trip to Disney World, and in my teenage years I was sixteen and a half. I decided to go off on my own because I don't want to be with my family. You're so tough, I, yeah. I was sure. tough. So I had my Walkman and my headphones and just w- would listen to a cassette and go on rides and just be, not be with my family. And they always, remember, <laughs> they always remember that, that I had a Walkman. But they don't remember that I remember that the cassettes I was listening to was seconds out. There you go. The whole entire time. So, I mean, I just listened to that backwards and forwards. And it was just like a, a turning point. Like I knew some of the later stuff they did because I might have mm-hmm. had Trick and Wind. But I didn't know Foxtrot and, and all that sure. stuff. It was just like amazing that this band was capable of all that stuff. Oh, and the, the funky beginning I love of I Know What I Like. Yeah. Is it kind of like yeah. letting loose a little bit? And I think I was like, oh, they do stagnation in that. I'm so proud. I know that. And all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, they cover about four more songs in that. Which Yeah, yeah. They throw in a bit of Dancing with the Moonlit Night. Stacy actually pointed out to me that there's a bit of Blood on the Rooftops. A little Blood on the Rooftops too. in that. And Visions of Angels, too. Right, right, yeah. So yeah, they throw in all those, all that little stuff. I just find that you know, I think with it, this album also shows how Chester was in this band too. Mm-hmm. You know, again, first tour with Chester. Bill Bill Bruford is on Cinema Show, but you know, and Bill was good, but Chester really knew how to you know channel Phil. He could yeah. swing yeah. basically. He knew there was uh, there obviously was, and I think it also comes down to. To both Phil and Chester having a, a, a genuine love of soul music as well, mm-hmm. and I think you know you only have to. I, one of the things that a friend of mine often used to say was the difference between Phil Collins and Peter Gabriel. Peter Gabriel's would go, huh, and Phil Collins would go, ow. <laughs> <laughs> so those are the two ways that they would sing, huh, and wow. ow. <laughs> Put them together, and that's what you get. So. Yeah, right. No, I just want to say, basically, echo what everybody has just said. That um, I again, I bought the two cassettes back in the eighties, mm-hmm. and I I love Phil singing Carpet Crawlers, Sound Suppers Ready, all Gabriel yeah. era songs, and I think that's great that he didn't try to copy Gabriel. He was his his mm-hmm. own self, regular guy dressed like a regular guy this is, this is what you're gonna get and people loved it yes yeah. still being theatrical here and there with it with Funny, you know yeah. kind of I mean he would kind of dress up for robbery assault and battery for example put on this cap I mean very not full-fledged costumes like right. Peter but would kind of act out the songs and he would even do it later on with uh, say it's all right Joe and certain things like that illegal aliens exactly so and I think that he would put on the sombrero yeah but I I think that's more about kind of Phil's acting kind of experience theater school coming out and saying if I'm doing a character let me personify that in a way Mm -hmm. it's less about a costume for the sake of I'm going to do a visual representation of this so that it's a little bit kooky it's more about okay this fits the music this fits the song which was actually phil's critique of peter's costumes back in the day anyway that sometimes it got in the way of the music versus complementing the music i found a couple quotes about what this album has meant to people who probably we look up to in the music industry one clive nolan from pendragon he has stated seconds out by genesis was the album that made me want to be in a rock band and uh, Taylor Hawkins from Foo Fighters, mm-hmm. he has called it his drum bible and has said it was thanks to Rush that I got into Genesis. 
After listening to Neil Peart, I bought the Seconds Out live album, which was released in 1977. It's just amazing. Not only hearing Phil Collins playing the drums, but also singing. He gets a really bad rap from some people for daring to take over after Peter Gabriel quit, but you just hear the way he sounds here. Collins is an incredible drummer. Anyone who wants to be good on drums should check him out. The man is a master. I couldn't agree more. Therein lies the other thing that we, we haven't really spoken about, which is the, uh, the genius stroke of having Thompson and Collins on stage together. Right. The, the how they sync together right. is it's unearthly, really. Yeah. That they, they seem to have an internal click track. Mm-hmm. The moment he arrived, there was an, another level of power yeah. that Genesis possessed. They were basically able to, to, in some ways, keep Phil on drums while he also sang. And because Phil was a... Bill Bruford can't sound like somebody else. And, you know, you listen to the 76 tapes, and it's good, but it's like... Bill has this kind of high-pitched snare, and it's like... it Sometimes it doesn't quite fit with Genesis. It does okay, but it's not quite there. And had Bill not wanted to go off in... I think they, he was going to form uh, UK or something else at that point... Um, the intention was to continue with Bruford. I think Phil was happy with Bruford. Uh, and I think the band was happy with Bruford. But, you know, it was... Phil, in an interview, talked about where he kind of saw in the music press that Bill was forming this band. And so he kind of called Bill up and said, uh, are you going to be available? And he said, Bill was like, oh, sorry. And, <laughs> you know, but, you know, you got to follow your own career versus being second fiddle for somebody else. And so I think finding Chester at that point was a real bonus for them it really helped i mean their live career was on an incline a positive incline but i think having somebody who could back phil up that way and basically be phil on stage while still having his own personality it worked out great well when you consider that chester thompson's resume is astonishing when you think yes. it's um uh, uh, frank zappa i mean yeah. anybody has uh, who's ex-frag zappa that's almost like a Zappa. yeah so uh, you know that's like a doctorate in drumming right. sort of like yeah. the and I think, was he with the Weather Report? Yes, uh, for, for a while as well. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, he knows his chops, oh, really. Yeah. Uh, but he had that sense to, he could play all of that mm-hmm. when it was required, but could then just bring it down. You only have to listen to um, I Know What I Like to see yeah. how he swung on yeah. that, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was it was fantastic. And, of course, one of the other classic ones was the, um, the end section of, um, or maybe I'm pulling forward a little bit here, for the end section of Afterglow, which apparently was, you know, diddly, 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 yeah. that drum riff at the end of it was a direct lift from a, uh, I think, a Zappa. Um, from More a, trouble every day. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So uh, it just goes to show that um, uh, Phil always kept an eye out for, for other drummers yeah. on the scene. Yeah. Um, I don't know how he was got his name. Was it literally I'm because sure. of... Uh, I think because of Zappa and Weather Report. Yeah. He had heard the, the albums. I think it was the... I forget if it was like... Live in New York or Roxy and elsewhere that he had heard with, uh, with uh, from Zappa's catalog, but I think that and maybe then explored some other areas of, of his work. But yeah, at that point, I know that he had finished. Uh, Thompson had finished playing with Zappa. He might have been with Weather Report at that point, uh, and you know it was probably the best career move that he that he made. You know, playing with uh, playing with Genesis, he got to. Got to be there for 25 years. So. I, I once actually saw, I went to a, a Chester Thompson drum clinic oh. at Ronnie Scott's um, in central London. And um, one of the things that I really liked about Chester Thompson is he, he, he's not one of these guys that um, particularly seeks out the limelight. Sure. 
but he was so I mean this is a room of drummers and uh, and he was with like minded company he was so charming and so confident the room was 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 nothing less than sort of almost like friends in a room right and he happened to be up there showing people how to do their stuff mm -hmm. and uh, I always remember him talking about um, the various sort of Genesis um, uh, songs that he'd played over his career and I actually did ask him I, I said um, about his double drum bass technique and, and about how he employs it you know because you can't use it all the time he did the best animal impression and he was like <laughs> flinging his arms all around and of course it raised, raised a big laugh as he was doing it and yeah. then he did at the very end of it he did the animal pant <laughs> and, <laughs> and everybody at the end of it and I just thought that was a, that was just fantastic so I think that brings us to the end of talking about Second Sound and Spot the Pigeon. We hope you've enjoyed this additional annex for uh, our Wind and Wuthering episode. So signing off from Tabletop Genesis, this is Mike Lord. Simon Godfrey. Andy Nothington. Stacey Godfrey. And Tom Roche. Thanks for listening. We'll be back. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tabletop Genesis. Archived episodes can be found at tabletopgenesis.com, along with updates, polls, and various other podcast-related news. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes to have the shows automatically and magically downloaded to your computer when we post new episodes. To keep up with all the Tabletop Genesis activity, follow us on Twitter at Genesis Tabletop. You can like us on Facebook by searching for Tabletop Genesis. And you can also email us directly at genesistabletop at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of the podcast or send us questions we can address on future episodes. Yeah.